Facebook right now, and this is the Rock Show episode 111. Can you believe we've done 111 shows? That's unbelievable, man. Time flies. Um, and what we're doing today? Very special. Round. This is, didn't I, for some reason I thought REM had another album before this one. I didn't realize. They had they, okay. They had one. They had one EP uh, called Chronic Town. Okay. Before that. Uh, just I think it was like five songs, and then they had the the single for Radio Free Europe. Yeah, it was based on those two things that they got signed. Okay, so let's talk yeah. about this album, the debut album, and the uh, and, and the songs. They had some pretty good songs. They had a lot of remake of this album. Yeah, I mean, well, first of all, this is the this is the last of the the making of albums that we've been doing for the whole month of of March. So thank you everybody for watching the rest of them. There was five that we did. This is the fifth one. Um, you know, REM's Murmur album is probably one of the most important albums of the early 80s. Uh, it kind of was a game changer. It kind of like ushered in what you could call alternative music or, or college rock, it was called at the time. Uh, it was, you know, you listen to it now and it's 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 not such a big deal but back then it was something totally different because when you think about what was going on in in, in 1983 you know you had the beginnings of hair metal and and a lot of heavy metal and stuff this was something totally on you had the punk hardcore was big this was nothing like that uh you know just something a throwback to kind of late 60s birds sounding kind of stuff but different because you had michael stipe's vocal style was very moody very you know i guess in some ways uh you know when you listen to rem the first four or five albums that's really all i like okay and then they changed into a super group and you know what i, I think about I, REM. I, I i i pretty much agree with you if you're going to say that they suck, okay? Because they're a bag. They're a bag of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But that you know, that, this is the good thing about doing the making of certain albums is you can get into a band that maybe only has a couple of good albums instead of everything. But uh, I think know, the lead singer is a crying, crying, whining baby. A crying, whining baby. He got, he got very, he got very preachy later on. Uh, they, they took on a different stance after like this one goes out to the one I love. Like after that oh. song to me, after that, to me, they just, that's it. You know, I will help him find his religion, throw him off the fucking roof. I hate that fucking song. <laughs> <laughs> what a bag of shit, man. No, but you, you know, but it, 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 it's funny, you know, uh, when people get successful, sometimes I think they don't know, 
what to do with it. And REM is kind of one of those bands. You know, if they had stayed pretty much the same, I, I, I think they would have been a lot better. Um, but, and then when their drummer uh, had the embolism, I, he, you know, they ended up going forward with a drum machine. And I'm like, no, nah, you just can't do that. You know, but let's go back. Let's go back to 1983 with their first album because they were still pretty decent then. I think this album is, is is pretty good. I've listened to it a couple of times in the last week. Uh, it holds up pretty good. Now, it was recorded at uh, Reflection Studios in Charlotte, North Carolina, and released yeah. on April 12th, 1983. On Mike, they did it pretty Reflection. quick. They had these songs written. They was all it was all ready to go. They had worked with the producer once before. I'm going to get into all that now. Okay. Now, critically, it was acclaimed right off the bat. Uh, yeah, people it like it. Unusual. Um, they, you know, the critics liked Michael Stipe's lyrics. They liked Peter Buck's jangly bird sounding guitar, and Mike Mills' bass hooks. Well, uh, really, really the, the early REM stuff, there's a lot of good bass on there if you listen to it. Mike Mills' bass kind of drives a lot of the songs. Yeah, now, good just a little, a little... What's that, Rob? I say that Mike Mills is a good bassist for a band. He's a good bass player. Yes, he, is. he is very good. A um, little back history here of REM, because it's kind of interesting how they got together. In January of 1980, Michael Stipe, and Peter Buck met at the Wook Street Record Store in Athens, Georgia. Uh, Peter Buck actually worked there. And um, the two became friends based on kind of, you know, the same music that they were listening to. A lot of punk bands, a lot of proto-punk bands, uh, stuff like Patti Smith, Television, The Velvet Underground, they liked. Yeah. And uh, they were both attending the University of Georgia at the time. Now, it was there that they met Bill Berry and Mike Mills, okay? And the two of them had been in bands together in the past, uh, pretty much high school. So that's kind of how the seeds of REM started. It was at the University of Georgia in Athens. And uh, the four began practicing in an abandoned church in, Ath in Athens, performing kind of like 60s and 70s covers and a few originals that they wrote up. Okay. Um, they played their first gig on April 15th, 1980. And uh, it, it, it's interesting. It's kind of a mystery how they came up with the name REM. They, you know, they had some other ideas for names. Uh, none of them really worked. And REM was something I think Michael Stipe pulled out of a book or something in the last minute. We didn't give it a lot of thought. But uh, a lot of people say that it, it has to do with rem like rapid rapid eye movement yeah that's you, what i heard everybody always thinks that it's like when you have when you dream and your eyes move around that's called rapid eye movement but my yeah. type said it, it it doesn't mean that so that's it it's kind of a mystery how they got the name um the band members dropped out of college basically to pursue this career once the band got going um they found a manager and his name was Jefferson Holt. He was a record store clerk, this guy. He didn't, I don't think he had much experience managing, but he was a record store clerk from North Carolina who had seen them play live and offered to manage them. Now he, re, he liked them so much, he relocated himself down to Athens from North Carolina. 
And uh, he did a good job managing right away because they started to get a lot of gigs, especially around Athens. And uh, they were kind of becoming the next big thing. Now, I think at that point in the early 80s, the only other band that really had some big success coming out of Athens were the B-52s. They were pretty much almost the same, you know? Almost like the same genre for some reason. Uh, the B-52s were a little more new wavy kind of... They were poppy. poppy. Pop Both of these bands pop, poppy songs. They're fucking popular, yeah. popular music. Yeah, yeah, they were doing something a little different. But Athens was a spot where there was a big music scene, but not too much was, was actually coming out of there. They had a lot of bands in the area. Um, for the next year and a half, REM toured the southern parts of the United States, okay, uh, extensively. And they were driving around in an old blue van and living on $2 a day each. That's crazy. <laughs> I mean, you know, these were the days that there was no, there was no alternative music circuit in no. those days that people, that people could go to. You know, all these bands from the 70s and the, and the 80s, they paved the way for these bands that came later that were all part of those Lollapalooza tours and all that stuff. You know, those guys had it easy. Okay, these guys paved the way. So right away, uh, they, they needed to record a single, and they recorded a version of Radio Free Europe as a single yeah. with, with a producer named Mitch Easter. Yeah. Um, it was on the short-lived indie label called Hibtone. That uh, label wasn't around for too long, and no. it was kind of a hit. It it, it did well on the uh, you know the music charts. Uh, they kind of like well, it really wasn't alternative music charts. I, I shouldn't call it that, but there were there were charts that tracked what was going on on indie labels, and it was doing pretty well. Um, the single, uh, I mean, Jefferson Holt felt that they needed to record a longer album or possibly an ep pretty much right away while they were riding high on that single yeah so, um recorded what was the chronic town ep and it's a five song ep it came out in august of 82. now based on that uh irs the record label irs signed the band okay yeah. and Mitch easter was brought in to record it and that IRS label, they, they Chronic Town came out on that, and, and it charted well. Okay, now um, IRS saw a lot of possibilities with REM, and uh, they wanted to bring in uh, for an album. They wanted to bring in a more of a well-known producer. That happens a lot when you get signed. You know, they yeah. want you to work with someone that's well-known. So they brought in uh, a guy named Stephen Hayes. Okay, now actually REM didn't want to work with anybody. They wanted, if anything, they wanted to work with Mitch Easter. Yeah. But they were kind of back corner, and and they were brought in. Stephen Haig was brought in. Now Stephen Haig, you might remember him because he was known for working with the band, the Gleaming Spires, and okay. they had that song called. They had that song called "Are You Ready for the Sex Girls." I remember that. Okay. Yeah, that was in the that, that was featured in the movie um, "Revenge of the Nerds" and yeah. "Last American Virgin." Last American Virgin. It's in that also. Um, Haig was kind of a perfectionist, 
And, you know, after a short time, it became kind of clear that they couldn't work together with him. Yeah. Uh, he, he made them do multi-takes, which was a way that they didn't like to record too much. They kind of liked to get everything down in, you know, one or two takes. Um, he was much more of a perfectionist. He wanted to add keyboards to their sound, which they wanted nothing to do with at that time. Um, and they actually, what he did was he took some of the tracks that they had recorded and secretly put keyboards on them without telling the band. And when he, they found out about that, they, they got pissed off and th things kind of broke down for a little while. Yeah. Now they asked the record company for Mitch Easter back. And IRS said, okay, but only if we'll do it like a trial basis, okay? And he's got to partner up with a co-producer named Don Dixon. Yeah. I get I get the feeling that IRS, you know, felt that maybe Mitch Easton didn't know what he was doing 100% in the studio. Yeah, that's you know, what I did. Though, <laughs> yeah, I mean, even though he had recorded the, the, the EP, so I don't know exactly what the problem was there. They probably just should have went with him right away. But I, I, I think they wanted to bring their own guy because their own guy said, oh, I know how to, what to do with this band and put keyboards and all this other bullshit. And the band was like, fuck you. Get out of here. We ain't doing that. We want to work no. with our guy. Right, it right. For a so, good album. They, so the label agreed, but they had to bring on a co-producer named Don Dixon. Yeah. And Easter had... Uh, a studio up in North Carolina and uh, they they worked on one song kind of as a trial run, a song called Pilgrimage that made it to the album and yes. IRS heard the production on it and thought it was fine, thought it was great. Okay, you can stay with Mitch Easter. So they did that. They recorded the whole album. Um, basically in just a couple of weeks of January of 83, they had it recorded. Um, Easter and Dixon had a very hands-off approach with R.E.M. They let them just play, okay? And then they would kind of take pieces of things here and there and put the songs together, which is, I mean, to me, that's probably the best way to do a band like that, you know? Yeah, and, and it worked. Yeah, totally worked. Um, one thing the band insisted on on this album is they didn't want any guitar solos and no synthesizers. Okay, and keyboards. And uh, Bill Berry, the drummer, he actually insisted that his drum tracks be recorded in a drummer's booth, which was a practice that was kind of not done too much anymore. Uh, where a drummer would sit like in a small booth and he would have the headphones on. And it was an old fashioned way of doing recording, even in, in 83. But uh, that's what he wanted to do. So they did that. Now, Michael Stipe wrote all the lyrics on this album except for one track called west of the fields uh he let his friend neil bogan write the lyrics to that one yeah which was rare because uh michael stipe was known for pretty much doing the lyrics on everything so it wasn't very few times that he ever give that up um now murmur's sound of the album okay is kind of a characterized as a quieter side of alternative music at the time it's a, it's a, it was kind of like reminiscent of, of rock, but with like a little bit of a new wave kind of twist on it. Okay. Like I've been saying, the guitars sounded very jangly. They got a great sound on that. Yeah. Reminiscent 
birds. Uh, Mike Mills used a, a big Rickenbacker bass, and it gave a real kind of punchy bass element to the songs. Um, early REM records rely on Mike Mills a lot with his bass riffs, um, and it creates kind of like a moody sound on these on these early albums. Now, a lot of Stipe's lyrics are often indecipherable. You can't even understand what he's saying. You know, like if you listen to Radio Free Europe, yeah. which is one of their best songs ever. Uh, I, think that, I think that's you, the only get, song. You, what's that? That's the only song I like. Uh, yeah, it's it's yeah, it's probably my favorite song from them. But there's some others that I like. But uh, if you listen to that song, if you get ten words out of that song, it's a lie. If you really listen to it, like what the fuck is he saying? Even the chorus, it's like what? Okay, and but it just it just works for some reason with with the sound, you know. Um, they ended up re-recording Radio Free Europe for that album, okay? And it was released again as a single, this time on, on IRS. And uh, the B-side was the Velvet Underground song, There She Goes Again, which was actually supposed to make the album, the cover version of that, but they left it off in the last minute. But they actually pressed some records with the title, There She Goes Again, on it, like it was on there as a mistake. So if you have that, that's a little bit of a rarity. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now it's all, it got corrected pretty much right away, but there was, a, I think, a few thousand copies printed like that. Now, most of the tracks on Murmur are very simple, simplistic songs. Uh, the titles are even simplistic. Uh, pilgrimage, Laughing, Catapult, basic titles, basic catchy songs. Uh, a little bit on the mellow side, a little bit, you, you know, the kind of stuff that the Velvet Underground was doing, you could hear it in their music, you know. It was kind of reminiscent also of 60s garage music a little bit. Now, um, one thing that people remember with the, with the Murmur album a lot is the cover, all right? And actually, it's one of the few cases in, in, in rock and roll where the back cover was more famous than the front cover. Yeah. Okay, now the front cover is a picture of like these weeds. Yeah, that's all it is. Yeah, but they're called kudzu weeds. And what they are, it's a type of weed that overtakes and kills all the other plants just by overshadowing it. And it grows really fast. So if you get those weeds in your garden, you're in trouble. You got to take them out. Get them out, right. Now, the back cover, like I said, was more famous. And it's that famous train trestle. Okay, that's in uh, Athens. It was part of the old Georgia Railroad line that yeah. ran Athens, and uh, it's become a it's become a landmark because of that. The way it was used on the album cover, people. Yeah, go you know Athens, that a lot of tourists, a lot of tourists yeah. go out just to take a picture of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a point. There was a point in time where it was going to get torn down, and they saved it because of the popularity from the album cover. People coming to see it. So, um, you know, Murmur did well when it came out, when it got released in April of 83. It, it did very well. 36. Yeah, got to number 36 on Billboard. Yeah, it did actually good everywhere, even in the UK, everywhere. It was a well-received album, you know? Yeah, it did very well in the UK, considering that the band hadn't even played there yet. Yeah. 
you know, and they had a, they already had an EP out, but they never made it to England until after that. Um, Rolling Stone, Cream, New Musical Express in, in England, they all raved about the album. And then Rolling Stone, this is an interesting, I, I didn't know this until I did the, the research for the show. Rolling Stone gave it the album of the year in 1983, and it beat out Michael Jackson's Thriller, Police's Synchronicity, and U2's War album. Wow. Yeah. You want to hear something in the top 100 greatest debut? R.E.M., that album is number 18 in the Rolling Stone top 100 best uh, debut album. Best as far as charting or best just in... Content? No, just debut. Debut album. It's, a, it's yeah. in the top 100 best debut album. Album that came out and made a... And people noticed them right away. They were, they were yeah. not, they said that's number 18. The top 100. Yeah, I mean, they, they, you know, R.E.M. was very lucky early on. Uh, they were able to get that, that critical success and slowly build their popularity. Yeah. You know, it took, it took, now, if you remember the early days of MTV, they used to play their videos. Like yes. The song. But they also used to play them in that, what was that? 120 minutes used to play them alive in the beginning. Right, right. But by that time, 120, 120 minutes, they were already, they were already established as like, you know. No, but they talk, band. they talk about them before they started even doing the video. They would talk about R.E.M. They would talk about like B-52. They would talk about like Meat Puppets, all these weird bands I've been heard of. Come yeah. a few later, they were on rotation and MTV, like nothing. Yeah, I mean, do you remember the video for Fall On Me? Yeah. You know, that used to be in the road. You see that five times a day on MTV. Oh, my oh, God. Also, big you know, I, I remember. I remember becoming aware of R.E.M. maybe a little bit before that, but you didn't really know what they looked like because a lot of yeah. the videos in those, it didn't show them. They had a couple that did. Uh, the one for uh, South Central Rain. The one that goes, I'm sorry, like that, you know? Yeah. Uh, th that you saw what he looked like. He was like, you know, shaggy hair and everything. Once he shaved his head, I, I tuned out. But, you know. <laughs> 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 you know, but I don't so know, that's man. it, man. I mean, it's a, it's a I think it's a great album. Everything up to the first, like, four albums, I think, are, are good. You know, had they stayed like that, I would have like them but they they did change it to something else just like you two did and you know other bands started out a certain way and then i don't know whatever they just evolved into something else it's like you you two is awful now they just awful awful, awful. what and the you hell know what them you know what bugs me about you two it just i don't know if we ever talked about this like joey ramon died Listening to a U2 song. <laughs> I wonder which <laughs> It was off of, uh, it was a track off of the album with Beautiful Day on it. I, I forget the name of the song. That's an awful album. That's a terrible yeah, album. <laughs> you know, yeah. And I remember, you know, I mean, I hate talking bad, but it's like, you know, I remember when he died and they were saying, oh, yeah, he died listening to. I'm like, I died 20 times listening to you two, man. You know, it's like, <laughs> I, don't, 
I just don't like that whole part of like to go out that way. Oh my god. Mike, let me ask you a question. You see, um, Bruce Bruce Springsteen got a got a fucking slapped in the wrist. What do you think about that? Listen, if it was you or it was me, we'd be still in jail. We'd be right? fucked. Yeah, fuck. <laughs> I guess when you I guess when you're the boss and you're in Jersey, I guess they give you a break. Okay. I mean, you know, he did he did three. He did, they said he did something like three or four quick shots. On his motorcycle with some fans down by the beach that saw him and he pulled over. He was talking with them and they, they he did a couple of shots of tequila and a cop saw it. If that was me, I, I you know, I'd be locked up. They take, they oh, man. I didn't, you know, who knows? He didn't even get a suspended license, nothing. Paid $500, go away. Yeah. That was. The judge, asked, oh, the, I think the judge even asked, "Are you going to do this again?" And he was like, "No, I'm fine. No more." <laughs> what else are you going to say? Yeah, I'm going to go tomorrow and do it again. You know, like, <laughs> <laughs> question. only if it's Billy Joe does it every other week. <laughs> uh, yeah, Billy, Billy Joe gets lumped up, lumped up, and and gets drunk on his motorcycle driving around, or he used to. I don't know if he does that anymore. Not anymore. <laughs> All right, Mike, another excellent show. And um, next week, uh, we have a big one. Yeah, um, we're doing a show Heels. finally on, uh, yeah, we're doing a show finally on the British DJ, John Peel, who we've talked about so many times uh, in different podcasts, you know, his influence on the music scene, uh, the way that he could make or break a band. So I'm going to put yep. together a show on him tomorrow uh, soon. In a couple of days, we should have it up in about a week. And uh, if things go well, we're going to have a nice returning guest. We'll leave it as a surprise. Um, we'll probably sound just for that one, right? With uh, this guy from Europe. It's up. It's up. It's up to him. It's up to him. Probably just uh, now. Yeah. Yeah, because he was great last time when we had him. Yeah, yeah, and and th th he grew up listening to uh, to John Peel in Britain. Oh, so, you, know, you know what's the thing about John Peel? If he liked you, he put you on. Everybody was listening to you. That's the kind of power he had. Yeah, I mean, he, he could make or break you basically. If you were on the DJ John Peel show, you were a, a, you know number one the next week. Wow, that's amazing! All right, Mike. So, how can people get in touch with you? Okay, uh, I'm on Facebook under Michael Baker, and of course the Rock Show Podcast group page on Facebook. I'm on Instagram under Rocker Mike two one two. I am on MeWe under Rocker Mike. I am on Parlor under Rocker Mike, and Clout Hub under Rocker Mike. And Twitter, my account's still suspended. As far as I know, I pretty much gave up on it right now. So forget forget Twitter. <laughs> I, said some, I said some bad things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. And, you, and if you want to find me, look at anything getting lumped up. Uh, there's a lot of stuff coming up in the next couple of weeks. Like we got a huge news uh, of stuff going on, interviews. Um, that that is, that is stuff going on. We got an interview soon. Who we're interviewing? Okay, is it this Wednesday? Yep, we got one coming up this Wednesday, uh, and maybe another one coming up in a week or two. All right, so um, 
with that well, guy's <laughs> and with that guys don't get drunk get lumped up and we'll see you get next week up. have a good one take care people Podcast you will hear that will be music to your ears. You'll learn about bands you love or may not know, and it's only here on the Rock Show. Let's get lumped up on the rock show.